0: This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on v Hey
4: everybody, welcome in to another edition of the Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. I'm Ben Wilson in for Patrick Maher. Great to see Michael Lombardi back here on the airwaves. Michael, I missed you last Wednesday. Glad to hear you're you're feeling well though. We have a lot to discuss as we're into the final six weeks of the NFL season. We sure
5: do, yeah. No, I'm feeling great. Uh, you know, I got better last week, and um, I'm kind of getting there eventually. It'll be good. So, uh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate you filling in. And Josh Applebaum and Mike Pritchett, everybody, I appreciate all the help. Team effort. I needed it uh, here at VEASAN. Yes, we, yeah, we, we have discovered.
4: Uh, fresh article up as well, if you haven't checked that out already. Uh, Michael has an article detailing his thoughts on the NFC South, which we're going to get into. That is available right now at VEASAN.com. Since you were gone yesterday, though, Michael, from what we saw Monday night, Need to get your thoughts. (laughs) Need to. We need to. Indianapolis in Pittsburgh uh, with what happened from head coach Jeff Saturday, his 30-year-old first-time play caller, Parks Frazier. Should it have been just an an assumption that we are always on a ticking time bomb that something like the erroneous clock management that happened in the final two minutes, Pittsburgh, to recap, only gets 11 yards on four plays that take a minute and 30 seconds to cover while down by seven with two minutes to go in pittsburgh territory lose the game by seven should this have just been interpreted as a ticking time bomb michael that was always going to happen at some point given the lack of experience for everybody involved there
5: you know it, it's going to keep happening and what i don't think people truly understand about game management everybody just reacts to the situation that's happening in front of them but that really the guy who's the head coach is paid to make sure that the preparation is there for the situation in front of them for example you know, you got the ball at third and 13 before the two-minute warning. You know, you stop them. You get them to punt, you know, and now we got the ball first and 10 on our own seven. So we've got a mounted drive. We can't punt. We're in four-down territory. You know, we get this drive going. Now we got a third and six right before the two-minute warning. And, you know, we, we, we throw a short pass below the sticks and Pittman. Now he takes it all the way down to the two minutes. So we have time to talk about it, gain our extra timeout, convert. At this point of the game, at that two, once you converted that first down and what you talked about in that two-minute warning was what was going to happen over the next six, seven plays. What drives me crazy about NFL games is no one, no one ever talks about how many plays are left in the game. They just talk about how much time is on the clock, right? Like, instead of saying to Jeff Saturday, did you consider using a timeout, the question should have been, Jeff, why did you allow so many plays to go away from you? Because as he let that clock go down, okay, he was losing plays. Now you say, okay, you don't want them to get the ball back. I get that. They're not the Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) Let me say this. The, 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 The Pittsburgh Steelers are not an explosive offense by no means. So, you know, to me, it was all about planning. It was all about execution. It was all about being situational. And he fails at that, and he's going to continue to fail at that because he's never done this job before. He's playing checkers, right? He's just looking at the move in front of him. He has no idea about how to play three moves ahead. No idea. Zero. And his poor young play caller doesn't either. So no one's helping him. It's just, to me, a calamity. The fact that you have a, billion, a $5 billion franchise that you just basically give somebody with no qualifications the ability to, to go fly the plane. Mm-hmm.
4: That's why. It makes no yeah, sense. When Jeff Saturday it, then comes out in the post-game press conference and says, And the quote we had highlighted yesterday on the show, "Eh, time wasn't a concern. That's where you can immediately push back and say, well, it's not necessarily about the time. It's about the plays. And when you know that 30 seconds is going to expire off the clock by not taking a timeout after you take a seven-yard sack on first and 10 at the opponent 33, when you need a touchdown to tie the game, that's where the big issue comes in.
5: One of the things and I didn't listen to Aikman, I had it on mute, but one of the things that I think people have to understand you save timeouts because if you get sacked you need them okay when you get sacked in a 2 minute drill you got to use your timeout because you got to get everybody back right the guys are out there running routes it takes a while to get everybody back you lose four you lose you basically will lose 20 seconds which is three plays so you got to call timeout right there's a ratio this ridiculous analytics about when we should go for it when we shouldn't but nobody talks about how many plays you lose when you don't call a timeout after a sack. That's analytics to me. That's analytics. And so when you don't call a timeout after a sack, what are you saving them for, right? What are you saving them for? Okay, now we're at second and 17. Okay, the clock's at 152. We know what we want to do. He scrambles. Once he scrambled, he should have called timeout. We got a big third down, right? And then he runs an inside run play. So so basically after the sack at 135, he blows 65 seconds mm-hmm. off the clock. He runs four plays in 65 seconds.
4: That is how you end up with the, the number we just threw out there with the four, the four plays post fourth and three at the 37, gaining 11 total yards and taking a grand total of 90 seconds by the time the ball was given back to Pittsburgh and the game was over. I wonder how you you know, you know view this, Michael. That, that concept of just not understanding basic math – the amount of time it is going to take to recalibrate and regroup everybody. It's like, to me, it's that. And then you get the cases where when coaches are we are down to, let's say, 10, 15 seconds, coaches still have one or two timeouts, and they're coaching players to go out of bounds when all you have to do is just like go up the field, take your timeout, because there's no time to use it on the back end anyway. It seems like that has been a common thing that coaches, it's not even so much an analytic thing as we're saying, it's just a basic math principle thing and <laughs> figuring out how much time you actually have yet, to, yet to, to use and yet so many coaches get that wrong. I mean, Jeff Saturday is not the only one, but certainly his, his example was much more egregious on Monday night.
5: Well, look, my, when I went to Cleveland in 2013, I had a meeting with the scouts and we were watching an afternoon practice when we went over the two-minute drill and the great Brandon Whedon threw a check down in the two-minute drill and I went berserk and one of the scouts in the room said what do you that that we got a completion we got yards no you don't understand no we just gave up time for for nothing like when you see them throw a check down on a 2 minute drill to the back you're better off with an incomplete pass you basically are conceding 10 seconds 12 seconds 13 seconds for 2 yards is that worth it like you either got to throw in cuts seams digs and when you have 3 timeouts you, got them for the, you have them for the – if you get sacked, that's key, and you have them to be able to attack the middle of the field so you can get the ball down the field. That's why the timeouts are so important, so you can get it down the field. They're not there for decorative items. They're not there to, to, <laughs> right. to grease the kicker. They're there to be the part of the strategy within the game. And clearly, Saturday does, – he doesn't even have the first concept of this. I, I mean, it's kind of – it's so comical. Like, it's so comical. That he would actually, and then he throws everybody under. Well, we didn't block the backside. Oh, that, oh, that makes all the fans at home happy. We didn't block. Well, who's in charge of blocking the backside? Aren't you the head coach? Throw the players under the bus. Why don't you?
4: Sure. For Indianapolis, now you go ahead to Dallas, and that that reposted number that the look ahead was as we update the screen right now. The look ahead was even in the seven range. The placeholder number was about nine and a half. We're up to 11 now, and you have to wonder, for an offensive line, you said that was, that was who Jeff Saturday, the interim coach, threw under the bus. It's an offensive line that has shown zero ability to block. The Even, I mean, eye test, advanced metric numbers, they all point to Indianapolis being a very bad blocking team, both run and pass. And now you take on a Dallas defense with the number one pressure rate in the NFL – I'm a little surprised, Michael, this number hasn't gone even higher, even though 11 is a pretty big number in NFL parlance.
5: Well, you know, it's funny. I ran my numbers this morning to get prepared for the show, and I have this as a 13.57 game. I was go. surprised it was only 11. You know, and, and I think the reason it's only 11 is because uh, I'm sure the book and Vinny, those guys are smart. They, they know that Indy's got to take the air out of the ball, they got to run it, and they can't throw it more than 25 times. I mean, if I'm Jeff Saturday and I'm not, but I would basically say, okay, on Tuesday, today's Wednesday, on Tuesday night when I had a staff meeting with the offensive staff, okay, here's the plan, fellas. We're, we're going we're gonna to play as close to the vest as we can. We're going to run the ball. I want to be in two backs. I want to run as many runs as I can. We cannot let Ryan throw this ball more than 22 times. I don't care if we get behind by two touchdowns. I don't care. We're going to stay attached. We're not getting away from the game plan because we're going to reduce the game, try to get it to the fourth quarter, and limit the amount of times we have to pass protect against a front that we can't. I want to have a really good second down play call sheet because I want to get first downs and two downs. So I want to be able to convert. I don't want to get in third and long. If I'm in third and long, if we have more than 12 third downs in this game, we will lose by two touchdowns. That's game management, that's game strategy. It's not about looking at your sheet, it's about setting up your game. He's got no chance. It's
4: like good luck against that that defense, and given the lack of experience we saw manifest on Monday night. We've seen the move though go to Dallas now to minus eleven, 43 and a half the total. Pittsburgh, who get the win, and you have to say it's have shown a lot of a lot of improvement with the rookie quarterback and Kenny Pickett against the toughest slate of opposing defenses so far. Now you get an Atlanta defense, it's bottom five across the board in most statistical categories. There has been some market support from Atlanta minus one or one and a half. It's now Pittsburgh. Minus one, still some shops at Pickham. You buying a, the, the recent resurgence here of Pittsburgh and Kenny Pickett?
5: No, I, I'm really not. And I think, to me, you, you've got to be really careful in evaluating it. I think Tomlin did a really good job in that game. He understood what what they were going to try to do offensively against them, and, and they got the lead. They they struggled in the red zone. But, look, this Atlanta team is is resilient, right? You know, they had you know a tip pass, and they're beating a playoff team. You know, mm-hmm. like let's think about this, right? If that ball doesn't get tipped against the Commanders on Sunday, you know that they're going to score that touchdown, and they're going to win that game. And we know the Commanders are, are have been playing their best football. Atlanta can run the football. What you make of a coach with like Arthur Smith is the ability to run the ball? I think this will be a close game. Look, I I wrote about it. You know, remember in Home Alone when when Kevin <laughs> looks at yeah. the picture of Buzz's girlfriend, I he says, that. "Buzz, your girlfriend Wolf." That's, every time I watch Atlanta's defense, I say, woof, it's horrible. But, you know, they do a great job of of making certain plays, and they run the ball. Look, they ran the ball on Washington. Think about that. Ben, you love metrics. They ran the ball against a good run defense.
4: Yeah, top four run defense in, in Washington, and the game was right there for Atlanta. Could not take advantage. Interesting to see where that next move goes. The early support was to Pittsburgh. Could that be just a recency bias thing with what you saw last on the Steelers? Could there be some late money coming into Atlanta as the week goes on? We're only Wednesday, big injury day for us, and a big injury to track in Green Bay. Both sides of the ball for the Packers and the Bears. Packers going to Chicago this week. Aaron Rodgers, sounds like he's going to play. We discussed that as well as an injury situation
0: in Philadelphia.
4: It is time to download Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM Sports. BetMGM has all of your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted on specials, and much more. Download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Seems like most weeks, Michael, there's some sort of drama around uh, my home state team, the Green Bay Packers, and we get more of that this week. Aaron Rodgers goes on the Pat McAfee show yesterday and says, "Uh, Scans looked better than we were expecting. I'm good to go. I'm expecting to play this week. That was the quote from Rodgers yesterday. Uh, Mike Pritchard and I, we were on the air when that interview happened, and the market immediately moved the number up, Packers minus three, 2-4 in Chicago, taking on the Bears. Still questions on the Chicago side about whether Justin Fields with his separated uh, shoulder on the non-throwing shoulder will go this week. A couple of books have gone up to 4.5. How do you interpret the Rodgers quotes from yesterday?
5: Well, I mean, I think he's going to play. I mean, this whole concept, I mean, Big Daddy Vince, who's uh, a, a huge Packer fan like yourself, my cousin, you know, he wants to get on with the love era. I, I said, Big Daddy, like, like you just gave Rogers all this money. You're not, that, that love era is over. You can forget the love affair. That's over. That ship sailed. So let's not talk about that. Look, I thought I want to ask you a question as a Packer fan. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy the the Mike Barry game plan against the the Philadelphia Eagles on on Sunday night? Did you enjoy that? How about how about Lafleur's game plan against the Eagles? Oh, Did man. you enjoy that?
4: It, you know, I I told my dad this. It was a, like a time honored tradition. you know, having watched Packers football for three decades. Not since Fritz Shermer have the Packers had a defensive coordinator who has known how to stop the run. I mean, you go back to. From Ray Rhodes to Ed Donatel to where we're at right now uh with the yes with the, the Barry-led defense and it's yes to give up uh what 363 rushing yards to Philadelphia a number not seen I, in the I National mean, it Football could have been League since 1977 it could have been. against Green Bay. Uh, kind of amazing that yes there was no ability whatsoever to game plan or adjust to a Philadelphia team it, it, that we know It could know have been 500. I mean,
5: yeah, he had no idea that 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 they're playing against a team that that is a six-pack running game. I mean, when Philly comes out and runs the ball in the first play of the game, they're basically saying, you know, that's it. That's it. We're, we're done. You know, we're going to run. You better handle this run game. And if you don't know how to do it, if you don't know how to handle – you see, what people don't understand about the Eagle run game, Oklahoma run game when Lincoln was there, the USC run game, this six-pack run attack, there's no edge in this. There's got to be edges on both sides there has to be edges on both sides because what happens is they run counter one way and bring the ball back the other way it's it's a lot of a lot of single wing concepts and, and if you don't have edges set on both sides you're not going to handle it and clearly mm-hmm. Barry had no idea and then the floor doesn't have any understanding of other than how to get a great haircut before the game <laughs> he has no understanding of how to set up the game plan to limit the eagles i mean he really doesn't like you know he's just out there throwing passes and doing what you know like, the game had to be played a certain way. And you could tell from the first quarter it wasn't going to be played. That's why they don't play well in the playoffs. Because LaFleur never understands there's a certain way to win a game.
4: And this this winner is the 20-year anniversary of when Michael Vick went into Lambeau Field and Brett Favre and the Packers had never lost a game at freezing or below conditions and ran rough shot all over the packers still have uh, still have PTSD from that michael and that's what watching the philadelphia game immediately <laughs> reminded me of uh, was that spot you would naturally think though that this would result in given what we're talking about packers having zero ability to defend a six back offense if it's Justin Fields at full health at quarterback for chicago should have a lot of success given the points that the bears were putting up in the previous four weeks pre-injury but how can you have any conviction that i even if fields goes he is certainly going to be less than hundred percent given the injury he's dealing with, and you would imagine, Michael. That would reduce his ability as a as a runner when you're dealing with a separated shoulder.
5: Well, I think to me, if he's got if he's got clearance to go, that means he can take hits, right? So he can he can play completely. The, the one thing about Fields is you're not going to let him out there if he can't play running back. I mean, you can only let him out there if he's gonna play running back. There's no drop back pass game when he's in the game. So either he can run the ball or he can't. And to me, this is a stay away. I think this line will inch up as the week goes on. It'll, I think it will get close to five if if, if if he's not going to play because the Bears are a disaster if he doesn't There's no offense yeah. with the Bears. This is what happens when on one side you have a six-pack attack. Then you lose your quarterback, and now you're back to a conventional offense. They did a great job. They did a great job of of game-planning the Jets for the first drive, and they got 10 points to start the game off. But then they had nothing left. And then all the problems with the Bears' offense shows up. They can't pass protect. You know, they can't get control of the run game. You know, because they're so dedicated to that, which they should be, Mm -hmm. to the six-back attack. So, you know, I, I mean, I know the Packers aren't playing well right now, but this is a game they should go into Chicago and win if the backup plays. If the backup doesn't play, I think it exposes Green Bay's inability to understand the six-back offense. Mm-hmm. Also, their inability to show speed on defense.
4: If, and if you're Chicago, a 3-9 and nine team, it's the future of your franchise as you perceive it right now in quarterback Justin Fields. There's no way you put him out there if he is not getting cleared and is less than 100%. So you have to imagine that's where the betting market is going with this. We've already ticked from 3 to 4. couple books now offshore starting to tick towards 4.5. I'm with you. This probably gets to 5, if not 5.5, or even six. In a similar fashion to how we saw the Jets line continue to creep up as more information came yep. out about the the lack of Justin Fields' availability. At least for the long term, though, on, on the Green Bay front. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the contract issues here. Because on the one hand, if the Packers, once they are mathematically eliminated, most, most people in Green Bay are saying, you got to see what you have in Jordan Love, a guy you did spend a first-round no, draft pick on. Yet, no, you don't. with it being his, they have to decide on Jordan Love's option by, what, May of next year, right, if they're going to exercise the ahead of his fifth year, where it's a twenty-three million dollars uh, fifth fifth-year option on his rookie deal, that's likely not going to happen as long as Rodgers, with $53 million in guaranteed money next year, is still on the books, right?
5: You made the decision on Love already, Ben. You've already made it. When you gave all that cash to Aaron, you've made that decision. We're moving on. Now, what you're going to do this offseason is, there's going to be a lot of teams that need quarterbacks, right? So you're going to take the best deal you can get for the guy. You're gonna to have to take the best deal you can get. I don't know what that deal will be, what it looks like, you know. But you know, nobody's gonna fall for. Well, he played good at the end of the Eagle game. Well, look, the, who was the opponent at the end of the Eagle game? The clock, or the or the, or the Packers for the Eagles? It was the it was the clock? So you got to be careful here. I mean, you've already made this decision. I I keep telling Big Daddy, this is over. This is not mm-hmm. like there's no decision to be made. Once you gave that cash to him, you're done. You're not cut, cut. unless he retires, then he's got to give money back.
4: You think he's giving back? You think he's retiring to not uh, not pick give up money? Back? It's fifty nine and a half million for next year.
5: No, of course uh, he's yeah. not. No, that, that's what I'm saying. You've already this, this conversation has already been had. We've already made it. You know, it's like okay, we're going to give him this money. We know he's our quarterback for the next three years. Let's build a team around him. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. The guy still can play. Look, he's playing yeah. with a a broken thumb. He's not the problem. He's not the problem. Everybody wants to blame him. But last year, nobody wanted to give him credit for winning. He's won 26 games with LaFleur as his head coach the last two years. Nobody giving him credit for winning those. Oh, LaFleur's a great young coach. Please stop. Put LaFleur coach in Tennessee for a week. How does that (laughs) go? Oh, boy.
4: Would be interesting. Uh, there's a really good article at the, on SpotTrack.com. They do a lot of the, the deep dives on the, the contracts. It's worth a read if you are still wondering, like, wait, wait, wait hey, eh, Rodgers, uh, well, you may have a future in Jordan Love. Maybe give him a chance. But no, there's really nothing, nothing, uh, nothing that would make any sense as far as the numbers uh, indicate there. And, and the Packers do go into Chicago now this week. Very minimal playoff chances, likely to be officially eliminated here within the next week. Two-two uh, at four and eight right now. Uh, team though, Michael, still very much at the top of the NFC playoff picture, yet continuing to slide defensively, and now getting a big injury as well. C.J. Gardner-Johnson now out indefinitely, lacerated kidney for the Philadelphia Eagles. I know the 30 points, majority of those given up to Green Bay were in uh, garbage time uh, on on Sunday night, a 33 rather in a 40 to 33 win. But uh, you're now taking on a Tennessee team that can run the ball very well. Derrick Henry, second-best running back in the game on a, a yards overall basis, and you have a Philadelphia defense that's now bottom five defending the run. Uh, how big is the loss now for Gardner Johnson uh, being out here as your best, uh, at least, defensive back in the safety position?
5: Well, I think it's certainly a significant loss for them. I mean, look, the Packers, for all the, the, the knocking I gave uh, LaFleur, you know, they averaged seven yards of play against the Eagles. You know, and if it wasn't for his wonderful third-down acumen, which I, I've, I've been making fun of LaFleur's third down play, play calling for for each one for seven on third down against the Eagles. Think about that. You know, the Eagles had 500 yards and only averaged 6-3 a play. That tells you how much the imbalance was in time of possession. But look, this will be a hard look. Tennessee matches up to Philly defensively. They're good up front. They can pressure and they're fast on defense. They're fast and, and they will play hard. I mean, look, anytime you can go Almost 30 minutes, more than 30 minutes. You can go almost 40 minutes without letting Kansas City, you know, get points. You're pretty good on defense. Now, last week against Cincinnati, that six-minute drive was the end of them. But they were playing good in that game. They just couldn't get off the field. I I think they'll play well. However, I think it's going to be hard for them because they've got to be able to make some plays in the pass game.
4: I like Tennessee catching five and a half this week. You have Derrick Henry already over 1,000 rushing yards and the top five rush defense against the Philadelphia offense. It is in a six-back formation, wants to run the ball. Tennessee can slow that down. Getting five and a half with a coach in Mike Grable, it's an intriguing proposition if we're looking ahead to Sunday already. When we return, it's Randy Mueller time here on the Lombardi line, former GM, just like Michael. Reddy right, joins us to give his thoughts on the state of the NFL next.
5: You're listening to the Lombardi line on VCN. Featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now once again,
4: here's Patrick Maher. The VEASAN Cyber Monday deal has been extended. Sign up today to become a VEASAN Pro subscriber, and you will get a daily recap of the top plays made by VEASAN show hosts and guests, tools like our betting splits to let you see where the money and bets are moving every game, deep-dive daily betting reports, plus our upcoming College Bowl and Super Bowl betting guides. New VEASAN Pro annual subscribers get a $30 credit to the VEASAN store The VEASAN store is a great place to shop for VEASAN sports betting hats, shirts, mugs, and other great gear. Hurry, this is an extended Cyber Monday offer that will not last long. So sign up now for the perfect sports betting holiday gift at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Back with the former GM, Michael Lombardi. I'm Ben Wilson in for Patrick Maher. Feel a little out of place, Michael. I, we welcome in Randy Mueller. I'm just this random yeah. guy here in Las Vegas, and I've got two former NFL GMs uh, here on the Lombardi line. Um, and,
5: and one executive of the year. I mean, and Randy, an executive, one executive of, the year. of the year. Yes, 2000 <laughs> so, NFL know, welcome,
4: executive Randy. of the year. Thank you, Randy, for joining us once again. Always great to have him on the show. Uh, won that award while he was GM of the New Orleans Saints back in the year 2000. Uh, Randy, there's a lot of interesting uh, interesting teams right now around the NFL. Uh, that are not exactly in position to uh, have success at least at the moment we start in denver a three win football team under a first-year coach nathaniel hackett reports come out yesterday that uh, sierra throws russell wilson a 34th birthday party and there were a smattering of people from the team who actually attended what's going on right now with denver uh, and and this nathaniel hackett led bronco team
3: well it's it's complicated that's for sure but i'm a guy that lives in seattle so some of this is not news to me. <laughs> I kind of saw this unfolding in his last year, year and a half in Seattle. So that's definitely an issue. I think the big question for me is who has the owner's ear? You know, we've got new owners since since uh, they made the deal for Russell. George Payton, their GM, made the a decision to hire Paul, uh, Nathaniel Hackett and then to trade for Russell Wilson. So there's some communication and lines wherein are blurred a little bit when the new owner comes in. So I don't know who has the new ownership's ear. They've got some pro- problems, there's no doubt about it. That's obvious. And I think we saw last week a little disconnect between the offense and defense that's probably been bubbling for a while. So when when you when you have a locker room that may be fractured, that's hard and Michael can, can uh, attest to that. You can't fool players, you can't fool locker rooms. Those are your be- biggest critic and as a GM really the only one's I ever was concerned about was what the locker room thought. So They've got some issues inside that um, you'd like to say a win would help, but I don't know long-term if it's going to matter.
5: Yeah, I don't either, Randy. And, and when I watch Russell, like – and I love to hear your evaluation. I mean, last year I was very critical. He wouldn't run last year. It's almost like he, he has no interest in getting hit. But as a Seattle resident and having watched him through this, has it has it even declined further than what you saw, the decline in Seattle?
3: Well, I think part of the issues in Seattle were just that. I think his legs aren't what they were when he was younger, for sure. He always made his living on the edge of plays, not necessarily extending them forever, but his timing and his quickness and his agility were all good enough to get him out of harm's way. That didn't happen. But you have to couple that in Seattle last year with a new coordinator, a new offensive system. Uh, Shane Waldron was brought in a year ago in Seattle, and he really struggled with that system. I think anytime he's been asked to do things outside his comfort zone from a system standpoint, there's been struggles and there's been pushback. And it wouldn't surprise me if there was a little pushback going on in, in uh, Denver right now with, with Nathaniel Hackett's offense. So I don't know how it gets solved. Obviously, the money determines if a guy's going to be there and for how long. But I'm not sure any system is going to matter when I see his legs deteriorate as quickly as they have. And the first-round pick from next year that
4: Denver is sending to Seattle. That is currently the number four pick right now in the 2023 wow. draft. One of two teams who have forfeited first-round picks via trades who are now going to give up top five picks to the teams they dealt for. Matthew Stafford and the Rams is the other team here as that pick would be the number thir- three overall pick for the Detroit Lions uh, coming out next year. Matthew Stafford, he's been in and out of concussion protocol. It's been very vague, Randy. How do you assess
3: what's going on there in L.A.? That seems to me like and, and it started for me in the off season. It's almost like a hangover of the banquet series that they went through during the offseason after winning the Super Bowl. I just I never felt that same hunger return. I never felt that same desire and drive that that they had to get where they got last year. And it's just kind of been missing. There's just been a spark that's been missing with the Rams, I think, from from day one this year when when they gathered in training camp for that matter. I, I mean, let's face it. Uh, the quarterback has been through it. He got beat down in, D- in Detroit. I mean, Matthew Stafford put it all on the line, and you can't question his toughness, but he did it for a long time before he ever got to the Rams. So how much shelf life is available, I don't know. Obviously, the bells and whistles that his arm talent brings is what got Sean McVay excited to start with, and it did get him a Super Bowl. I don't know what the long-range uh, prognostication is for the Rams because we know they don't have draft picks, they need to rebuild a little bit. They have hit on some mid to late round picks in the past, but that's not going to be enough to carry this team. So Matthew Stafford has to be around for them to be successful. But then you also couple that with the head coach kind of talking really out of out of both sides of his mouth. Last season in the offseason, do I want to go to Amazon? What do I want to do? Do I want to retire? Just a lot of you know, a lot of things up in the air with just the 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 vibe you hear from the Rams. So that one to me is a long-range plan that. Who knows what's going to happen? I think there's going to be a lot of things on the table in L.A. when it comes to talking about advancing the Rams' cause once the offseason hits.
5: Oh, I, I couldn't agree more, Randy. You know, they were so proud about not not giving away all their draft picks. Now, yeah. you know, that one of title, and you know, and I both know, winning that title and putting that ring on your finger is what matters most. But it also, you know, you know, we all know after a Super Bowl, we all get together at the Combine. It's like the, the world goes yeah. on, you know, and yeah. – and they're not ready. I mean, they're they're declining so poorly within my power rankings that it's just re- remarkable. Yeah. And they're going to continue to go down. And even though there's some good young players, I'm not sure they could do it. I want to ask you about the Jets and Mike White. I mean, if, if, if you're Joe Douglas sitting there, what are you going to do with Zach Wilson?
3: I think he's in a tough spot, obviously, because of the production or lack thereof with Zach Wilson. I actually think they've done it right, Mike. I think they've made the decisions. Mm-hmm this last few weeks that they've had to make. They had to pull the plug on Zach Wilson. The things off the field had gotten just as bad. The locker room was again fracturing. So they had to do that. But with Mike White, and I watched the tape just yesterday, as a matter of fact, from what he did on Sunday, he does all the things right now that Zach's struggling with. He anticipates. He processes from the pocket. He's accurate enough. I mean, this kid's four or five years into a career now, so he's advanced a little bit. Now, a bigger body of work in the past has caused a recession for him, and he hasn't been the same week after week. So there's three weeks, I think, if they end up going with this guy, where he's really got to kind of set his career forward if if he can play like this. He played really good. But I also think New York played better as an offense. Their scheme, the week that they benched Zach Wilson, Mike, their scheme, their execution, it was awful. Oh, I don't sorry, think bro. it was just – it, was it wasn't the quarterback. It was everybody. Now, I'm not making a case for – Zach Wilson because he's been bad, but their scheme's been awful, in my opinion. And, and they did some things that made me think they're mentally out the lunch. It was like that offense had quit. Now they got new life last week. Let's see if Mac, if Mike White can do this. That the the really the the comeback for it all is if Mike White plays good, he's going to be an unprotected free agent, Mike, at the end of this season. You can't tell me that uh Taylor Heineke or some of these other led teams aren't going to look at Mike White. So he may end up leaving the Jets after he proves he can play. So that's the crazy yeah. end of the story.
5: Yeah, no doubt, and I agree with you. I thought the Jets' offense was horrible. Some oh. of that, I wasn't sure if it was Mike LaFleur or they're just trying to make sure that Zach Wilson. But they really didn't give Zach Wilson a chance. I, I agree no. completely with that. They, I mean, they they never let the kid. And maybe they they want. I don't watch practice, you know. So maybe he's just so bad in practice they don't want to do anything. But you're right, the scheme is horrible. Yeah. Again, now
3: Randy Mueller Well, the joining things us, uh, that right set Sorry, me Randy, on the ahead. course, to, I was going to say the things that set me on course to kind of like Zach coming out, Mike, were anticipation, timing, processing,
5: yep. I, I, Me off, too.
3: Sc- off-schedule stuff. He was great at that at BYU, and all of a sudden he can't do any of that, so it kind of set me I, I'm, into I'm looking at you. the scheme a little bit.
5: I, I mean, I thought he was one of the few guys in the draft that could play under center and could throw. Yes. He wasn't an RPO quarterback. So, you know, I don't know if he's lazy. I don't know if his work ethic's bad, but he looks nothing like the quarterback at BYU. I agree with that. Yeah.
4: Randy, at least for this week for Mike White, you get a Minnesota defense that just made New England's Mac Jones look like prime level Tom Brady. Is that a matchup that would should lend to success, or do you think that was maybe just a like a one week thing against a Bears defense for Mike White and the Jets?
3: A Bears defense that has been awful. Again, Vikings yeah. are laying about three this week at home against the Jets i think that's part of it don't don't mistake the bears for you know being the uh 86 bears or 87 bears whatever that defense was so i agree with you i will say this the the jets looked so much more engaged on offense and maybe yeah. the quarterback change did that if they prepare and and have uh really any semblance of mental toughness that they showed last week i think they'll be fine not only will they make the playoffs i think they got a chance to make some some hay because of the defense so I think it's, it's, it all just depends on how engaged this offense is. And I think it's more as much about the brain trust and the scheme and the game plans as it is the actual execution by the players. If you don't already follow Randy, give him a follow at Randy Mueller with an underscore
4: at the end, the former NFL GM of the, uh, the Saints Thanks, and Dolphins Randy. 2000 Executive of the Year. Thanks so much, Randy. We appreciate the time as always. Thanks, guys. When we return, some more storylines coming out as it's a big injury Wednesday across the NFL. We'll discuss those more in depth when
0: we come back on the Lombardi Line. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
4: Make some midweek magic with Light the Lamp Wednesdays at BetMGM, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Place a $25 wager on any NHL player to score a goal on Wednesdays, and you'll automatically receive $2 in free bets for every goal scored in the game, up to $16. Just log into your account or download the app and sign up with BetMGM to get started, then opt into the Light the Lamp Wednesdays promotion to receive a $2 free bet for every goal scored in the game, regardless of your prop bet's outcome. Eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-underable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi, Nevada, or New York. We continue on the Wednesday edition of the Lombardi Line. I'm Ben back in for Patrick. Patrick back tomorrow on the show. Hanging out with Michael Lombardi here uh, from downtown Las Vegas, our Circus Sportsbook Studios. Michael, we continue to uh, try to delve into the NFC East and the news around Odell Beckham's uh, continued tour of sorts uh, as he continues to get closer to potentially signing with a team allegedly set to visit with the Giants later this week, the Cowboys and the Bills next week. Uh, apparently has been cleared now from, uh, from his ACL rehab and is set to he's, – he's ready to go. But uh, realistically here, what do you actually expect to, to end up unfolding here with Odell as we continue to wait for a destination?
5: You know, that's what I thats what I question is uh, clear to play. When I was an executive in the league, and Randy, who just left us, he could speak to this as well too. You know, you would go in these medical meetings and the doctors would say, this guy's clear to play. Okay, great. But then you watch him work out and he looks like crap. Well, I mean, he might be healthy, but he's not ready to play. I don't know where Odell is. You know, is he going to have a burst? Is he going to have acceleration? Is he going to be able to separate? Does he have his quickness back? You know, what's his, what are his legs like? You know, when we talk about Russell Wilson, the reason Russell isn't very good anymore, he lost his legs. We see this more in the NBA. Guys in the NBA that lose their legs, they can't jump, they can't accelerate. You know, Alan Iverson can't get the paint anymore. You know, and all of a sudden, all his limitations come back on you. And, all you know, now all of a sudden, instead of being this explosive point guard, he's a six-foot point guard, he can't get to the rim. Not so good. Same thing with Russell Wilson. I don't know where we are with Odell. Like I, Odell's a great name, and it mm-hmm. certainly circulates the worldwide leader, and it keeps the conversation going. But he's not going to move the needle one inch, not an inch, not an eighth of an inch, at all. He's going to be a name, and you're going to get the, the all the satellite trucks going to be in front of your facility when you sign them, But is he going to impact the team? I, I would be cautious about that. I really would be. Now, if he comes in and works out, he looks like oh my gosh, this guy's explo- He's ready to go. I doubt it, but let's just say he does. Okay, then I get it. But remember last year at the Rams, he was the he was a he was another option. He wasn't the lead dog in that offense.
4: And for what we're talking about right now, for power ratings for teams, cuz this is what it's all about, you're ass- assuming he's going to a, a at least playoff to Super Bowl contender, how much does he raise a team's power rating? Answer is probably Michael uh, very very minimally to Zero. if nothing at
5: all. Yeah. 0. 0. He's not going to he's not going to raise anybody cuz nobody knows. I mean, As sharp as the books are in Las Vegas and Atlantic City and all over the country and offshore, nobody's watched him work out. I haven't talked to anybody in the league who's seen him work out. And until he works out, until he shows something on tape, nobody's going to sit there and say, oh, he's Odell, I remember that great catch he made. I'm scared to death. I'll, I'll play off him. No, they're going to get up in his mug and say, okay, let's see what you got, bro. Yeah.
4: The report for me in Rappaport of NFL Network was the, a source with direct knowledge, says he has been fully cleared from the ACL injury, yet there's a big caveat of, it's now about getting up to speed football-wise with football-type activity. Uh, it, essentially what you're saying, Mike. <laughs> it's one thing to be cleared. I mean, it's another to be uh, ready to contribute in an NFL uh, game, especially this late in the year.
5: At a high level where you haven't played for a while, where you're going to get a guy in your face and he's going to jam you and he's going to punch you and you got to separate. and Then you got to build a trust with the quarterback. I mean, to me, you know, if you're Buffalo and you run a, and you have a lot of loose plays in your offense, maybe that helps you. But I, I don't know if he can do that. I don't know if he's going to be the guy that helps. And who are you taking off the field to put him on? Is he better than the guy you're taking off? Now, in name recognition, he's significantly better than the guy you're taking off in name recognition.
0: But it's a in
4: different terms of story
5: whether he's or, playing yes. that way or two different stories. Yeah,
4: ab- absolutely. And a team that he will be visiting later this week, his former team, the New York Giants, find themselves on the slide. Now taking on the red hot team in the division, the Washington Commanders within the NFC East. As you look at the power rating, Michael, how have you you've adjusted things? There was a bit of a of a sticker shock to seeing the line come out. Washington favored on the road, going to MetLife Stadium, taking on the Giants. Uh, by many in the betting market, but the Commanders continue to get support, up to two and a half point favorites right now. Uh, where does your power rating sit on both Commanders and Giants here as we head into Week 13?
5: You know, I, I still have the Giants as a slight favorite here. I haven't power ranked. I haven't power ranked them over. You know, when I look at the Giants, look, last week they lost. You know, they've lost the last two weeks p- partly because of their inability, or the last week, their inability to play. Red zone defense. I mean, they, they against Detroit, they didn't play very good in the red zone. And against the Cowboys, they haven't. So they're trending in the wrong direction. And when you look at the last 10 games, you know, in the last 10 games, when you look over the landscape, the Giants are ranked 28th in my rankings in the last 10 games. And the Washington's 15th. When you go over the last five games, when you go over the last five games, you know, they're 28th. And, and the Washington is ninth. So I think the adjustment in the power rankings is because these teams are going in different directions. And a lot of it has to do with the health of the, of the New York football Giants. They're not healthy in their offensive line. They're not healthy at corner. So it's a problem. But to me, when you watch that Washington-Atlanta game, I mean, Atlanta's right there. And Heineke throws a classic interception, you know, that you know he's going to throw every week. And this game's going to come down to execution in the red zone, which the Giants have been really well have done a great job. Mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if they didn't play well this weekend. Uh, you know, it's hard to run the ball. The problem also with the Giants is they can't they able to run the ball. Barkley hasn't been able to get on track. And Atlanta ran the ball. Atlanta ran the ball in Washington. I don't know if the Giants can run the ball.
4: That is the clear key to success, at least for the Giants, on offense. But you flip it around on the Washington offensive side. For quarterback Taylor Heineke, who had two two dropped interceptions Did throw one and the numbers as of now sit where Heineke is a negative completion percentage over expectation, a success rate as I update the numbers in the uh, 45% rate that is right around Kyler Murray, Matt Ryan territory. Is it just a matter of time before this comes back to earth and you see Washington start to regress or is that defense good enough to continue to carry uh, the offense uh, in spite of itself?
5: I think if Rivera is is the head coach, I think he basically tells Scott Turner, we got to really limit this guy. We got to we have to have a similar game plan that we had against Philadelphia. We got to we got to keep running the ball. We got to keep we got to limit the amount of times this guy has the ball. And let's win this game with a kicking game, a good kicker. You know, it's a great formula in December. Defense and a good kicker goes a long way and if you don't turn the ball over, right? So let's not turn this thing over. And let's stop the other team from running and make them one-dimensional. That that formula works in December. So we'll see if they do that. I, I don't think they can allow this. They can't let him continue to make those. Their offensive line isn't good enough, right? So they're going to get pressure, right? Their offensive line has improved. They're only in 20th in sacks allowed per percentage so far this season. But they're not good enough. And the more he has to throw it, the worse it becomes. So... You know, I think they got to play it close to the vest. I think it's got to be a low-scoring game if you're Washington, much like the Atlanta game. Got to try to take advantage of field position, and hopefully you can come out the get the game in the fourth quarter. It's the same formula the Giants have used all year to win as many games as they've won. Right. Just the Giants. The Giants when they don't play pitcher perfect, they can't win. Same thing with Washington. They can't. They have to play perfectly to win.
4: That's why I naturally look at a line like this in a first game of two within the division between the commanders and Giants and say, why wouldn't you tease the Giants through the three and seven up to eight and a half against an offense who has shown zero ability to win by margin this year?
5: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think when you look at the Giants, that they have got to find a way to run the football, right? And they've and one thing the Giants do a great job is they run boots and nakeds. A lot of their passing game, because of they don't trust Daniel Jones, is in short is in a lot of those short passes, but the last two weeks they've run for basically ninety yards, mm-hmm. right? And so he, last week against Dallas, the hard part was you know I mean that game wasn't as close as the score because they scored that late. the The Cowboys didn't cover on the missed field goal and the, and the cheap touchdown at the end. But the last three weeks they've only turned the ball over. They turned it over three times against Detroit, would kill them. And that and the other fact is that they've allowed 101 yards rushing against Houston, 160 against Detroit, 169 against Dallas. That's where all of a sudden Washington becomes the better team. And you find in those
4: narrow margins, all of a sudden, the little things tend to then add up. And I mean, Washington's gotten great special teams play too. Joey Sly all of a sudden is a pro bowler. Didn't see that coming, He's Michael, hot. as a kicker.
5: Dude, dude has been unconscious I mean, for Washington. Look, we forget about it. Cincinnati made their run last year. After the yes. Kansas City game or after they lost overtime to San Francisco, they made that run on a hot field goal kicker, a really good defense, and protecting the football. That was it. They really didn't do much. I mean, everybody talks about chasing and Barrow, but when you watch the games, it was those three things that won it.
4: Kansas City and Cincinnati, pretty big rematch uh, coming up this week. But you're right, Michael. It it can be very simple at times in the NFL. Washington is trying to simplify and continue that formula. Now, two-and-a-half-point favorites over the Giants in the betting market. In hour two, we'll talk about that big uh, rematch. Chiefs, Bengals, some divisional rematches as well. Chargers, Raiders come to mind. Uh, Harry Gaggin will also join us in hour
0: number two as well, right here on the Lombardi Line.